0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the heart of sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elect Eight Twenty Five. We are thrilled to join you on Six Ten ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff Cohen, were you standing outside the Philly Stadium last night, making a lot of noise? <laughs> Look at yes, you! Yes, I was. You brought <laughs> your own sound effects to the show today. Do you like I, it? I, no, not really. But I'm impressed yeah. that you that you had some way to do that. I that know- was
1: that was my big surprise
0: for you. I know that you have a take yeah. on uh, mm-hmm. Philly's game last night. Uh, they won to split the series with the Yankees. But the more entertaining part was that Aaron Boone believes that baseball is now akin to a golf outing. <laughs> there shall be no noise from anybody in the stadium. First of, first of, all, stadium, yeah,
1: fir- first of all, Aaron, you're a baby. You, you, <laughs> can't, you cannot complain about the fact that there's a minimal amount of noise outside the outfield gate. Well, it's he not can. like this, huh? He well, he can. But here's the problem with doing that, especially when you're playing in Philadelphia. If the Yankees have to come back and play a playoff game here, or do anything here for the rest of the season, and probably for the rest of the time that he's manager of the Yankees or wherever he goes, it won't go well. The air
0: horns will be everywhere. You know that you will be tortured for. You know- but here, get. You know, that's going to grow bigger tonight after the. Oh, yeah. And and I believe Sunday is an ESPN game, which means that there will certainly be more people out there to get said attention on Sunday.
1: It is rather annoying, though. But but as a manager or player, you can't complain about it. It, It's just something that doesn't go over well. And you're just asking for trouble. And I, I don't understand how somebody he's a pretty smart guy and how he didn't know that that was going to be a problem. Uh, for the rest of his professional baseball career, in any capacity, is beyond me.
0: These guys have been in stadiums of fifty thousand people, thirty thousand people. They're getting upset because there's an air horn outside the gate. Like, really? He,
1: he plays in the Bronx. <laughs> I, I
0: mean, don't they have ladder car horns to go by when there's a traffic. You know, they
1: have something called the Bronx cheer. Okay, yeah, yeah it, it's it's not it's just not a look good look. I don't understand why he did it. Uh, it's just a big mistake. The only thing that good that comes out of it besides that is apparently the guy has threatened that he's going to Klintak's house if he doesn't sign Real Muto, too.
0: <laughs> Bryce Harper making the money sign after his Real Muto's latest home run last night. How do you That's think what what, feels about being shown up by his players uh, on the field for not being done? As a fan, I like that he's advocating for what it is. You know my position on Real Muto. They shouldn't even be in this situation right now he should be signed long term however your opinions what, on what players do you team. think
1: what makes you think that Ray Amuto was going to sign any deal before Mookie Betts
0: oh I think that if they would have negotiated I think they should have negotiated more to try. I no. don't think they tried enough uh, I really uh, you don't know that. You're it's basing like, that on what? It, from all the reports and things that he said, it doesn't sound like they were ever really engaged. They each know where their framework is, but it doesn't sound like they ever, ever made an offer to try.
1: If you're Real Muto- if You're negotiator. You, come on, Mr. Lawyer. Well, I'm, I'm about to explain to this to you. If, if, an offer from one side. I'm about to explain this to you. If I'm J.T. Rail Muto's representatives, there is no way, unless that deal- is the most ridiculous, bad deal for the Phillies. I am not signing a deal until I see what was going to happen
0: with Mookie Betts. Don't you have an obligation as a business owner to try to make that offer at least? Let yourself I'm, turn down and then go back and read. They
1: made yeah. offers. They tried. You're okay. just saying that they're not good enough. And the reason you're doing that is because they don't have a deal. And what I'm telling you is the reason when, I'm when doing that it takes is two sides to make a deal. And when a deal doesn't happen, it doesn't always mean that one side was the one that was
0: wrong. The reason I'm doing that is because I've consistently said that you don't make this trade for him initially if you're not planning to keep him long term. I'm not saying they're not do. planning, but they why? have.
1: Why? Because you lost to Sixto Sanchez? Because what else did they I, lose? I think
0: make this decision with the eyes for the long term. You have a guy in here who's one of the top catchers, if not the top catcher in baseball. I don't know why anybody bothers to run against him. He's got a great eye. He can hit for power. He can hit for contact. He can do anything you want on the field. You just He's made the argument. Against
1: against the you just made an argument against yourself. No, I didn't. Sure you did. You got him for two seasons. And you should sign You've... him for more. Yes. No, but you just said you don't get him unless you sign him to a
0: long-term deal. Unless you plan to sign him. Yes, you got him for two seasons. My opinion is the two seasons is not enough with the opportunity you're given. You have the opportunity exclusively. It's not over yet. No, not yet, but I believe they shouldn't be in the situation. Anyway, back to on the field stuff. No, you can't do that. You can't just say, but anyway.
1: There's you already no told way- me that I have to talk on this show, so I'm going to talk. I, I gave you the chance to have a
0: 60-minute show with me just standing here. There's no way to oh. resolve disagreement, especially before we go to talk some NFL with Gus Ferrat. So okay. how about we bring uh, NFL uh, former NFL quarterback, pro bowler, uh, now host of podcast. Uh, Gus will ask you about the podcast shortly. Gus Ferrat, thank you for giving us the time and joining us.
2: Oh, hey, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your argument there. You guys can keep at it if you want.
0: I, I just happen to not believe that the Phillies should be in a position where JT Realmuto doesn't have a contract right now. But I know you're a Pittsburgh fan, so you don't mind if he walks on us.
2: <laughs> well, hey, uh, I got to deal with the Pirates, so that's a whole other story. We need about six hours to talk about that.
1: All right, well, Gus, we we do have as as somebody who spent time living in Pittsburgh for a while, the big question I got to ask you before we get to anything serious is: Are you a fries and coleslaw guy on your sandwich? Of
2: course, I mean, if 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 you live in Pittsburgh, you got to go to Permani Brothers and try fries and coleslaw on your sandwich. I mean, yeah. that, that's how they uh, that's how they fed the workers forever coming out of the steel mills.
0: Jeff is a guy who has uh sort of tried to live your life a little bit. He's a Pittsburgh guy from his law school days, but his undergrad was at Michigan, where apparently you wanted to go for your college career um You know it's funny you watch players on the field and and then when we get to prep for interviews, there are so many things Jeff's holding up his Michigan water bottle right now he's so proud of it <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that you learn about people that you just had no idea. You're a fascinating person to me. Uh, I did not realize your whole life story. It started in ninth grade when you broke your neck. Can you tell me how you have overcome all of this adversity from that time? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story.
2: Um, You know, playing in eighth grade, I broke my foot. I wasn't going to play. My dad said, hey, I just bought you those new cleats. Get your butt out there. So just tie your shoe tighter. So I played a whole year with broken foot. The next year in ninth grade, go back out for football again, tackle somebody with my head down, um, didn't have great coaching, didn't really understand what to do. I actually took my helmet off, got up, walked into the stadium um, where our locker room was, waited an hour for an ambulance, and then – the crazy part is my mom was working as the um, kind of the receptionist in the emergency room at that time. And all she knew was some kid was coming in with an injury and then that turns out to be your son. And, and uh, you know, I wasn't going to play again. She really didn't want me to play again, but my dad being who my dad is. And, and I had a cousin who played in the NFL, my cousin, Mitch, and uh, his, his coach, which became my father-in-law came to Fort city and slowly but surely, I started going back over to the football field. I started doing stuff in the locker room. And then, um, you know, by 11th grade, I was playing again, only playing quarterback. And the crazy thing is, we ran the wing tee. It's not like we just dropped back and threw it every play. I think I threw it 45 times my whole career in high school. So I went through a lot. And just to get recruited to play college football was amazing to me. And I was awfully lucky. And um, And even then, I got to choose where to go so all those circumstances just lets me know that you know you can be broken a little bit but you can come back and, and still live your dreams out
1: well Gus you said that you didn't throw too many you didn't throw many passes I don't think you had that many people on your team back then did
2: you <laughs> no we had I think we had 19 my senior year and as my old uh, coach who just passed this year uh, my wife's father rest his soul he said you know and we didn't have 19 athletes either (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah we were out there playing with uh yes yes so um you know you did what you had to do and i had one thing they couldn't teach was that that was being tall and uh you know i went to a camp here in pittsburgh called joe butler metro index football camp and back in the day it's when all the all the colleges could go to one camp and see all the players and that's kind of how i got recruited
1: as, as a kid who grew up in Western Pennsylvania, there are lots of quarterbacks that have come out of that part of the state. Um, who, was, who were the guys that you looked up to
2: as a kid growing up? Well, obviously growing up in the seventies, uh, the Steelers were huge. I was always a Terry Bradshaw fan. And then as you get going, you realize who else came from your area. You know, the uh, Joe Montana's and Jim Kelly's and, and uh, Joe Namath and, and, You know, you didn't know those guys. Our towns back in the day when you were growing up, if you had to drive to the next town that was 20 miles away, you felt like you were taking a day trip. Now travel is pretty easy and different. But, um, you know, those guys, just looking up all to those Western Pennsylvania quarterbacks, and obviously Dan Marino, um, you know, is the epitome of Pittsburgh. And so, you know, it's just being in that mold, being lucky enough to say I grew up in Pittsburgh and got to play in the NFL, um, you know, and be along – with some of those other guys is is pretty amazing
0: you end up looking at many different colleges go to Tulsa where you like you said you threw 40 to 50 times in a season there you start throwing 40 to 50 times in a game you compete with 10 people to try and win the job you're actually the punter before you're the quarterback your sophomore year tell us about that crazy journey
2: yeah, I mean, that's a crazy journey. You're, you go there from college, I was just happy to be there, right? You know, hey, I'm, I'm from this little school in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and I get to go to the University of Tulsa. And the reason I went there was because of Coach David Rader, um, who actually showed a lot of interest in me. I looked at Louisville and Temple and, and some other schools, and, you know, their interest was very mild. Coach Rader's interest was very high. He recruited a lot of kids from western Pennsylvania. So when I went there, I mean, I had 12 kids that, that – um you know, we're from Western PA, so it felt like home. And we had a lot of fun our freshman year when I was red-shirted. And then, you know, you move on and say, okay, now next year I might play a little bit. And I had to learn a lot about being a quarterback. Uh, a lot of film time, a lot of studying, uh, you know, how how to throw, how to drop back. Uh, you know, the wing key is great. It's a great offense for high school. But when you go to straight shotgun and drop back, it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself much to that. So um, I had to learn a lot and you know my sophomore year just just fighting for you know job any reps i can get um and then uh, you know just started punting i punted in high school and tried to do that there was lucky enough to uh, be able to be the punter uh the next year tj rubley's a starter he's a senior he blows his knee out um against arkansas i come in and play against arkansas the first game I ever playing college against arkansas and, and Arkansas was a pretty big school at that time. And I can remember lots of butterflies, pretty nervous, but had a decent game. You know, the first play, I think they blitzed all three linebackers and just remember looking straight at the sky through my helmet saying, all right, this is it. I'm here. You know, and then uh, it's kind of how my career went. Like you get hit a little bit and you say, okay, I'm ready to roll now. And then you just keep
0: firing it. You end up becoming the second ranked passer in program history, but your combine story is interesting to me because you weren't invited in a traditional way, but you made sure you were there and made an impression. Can you tell us about that?
2: Well, you know, that's the same thing as my whole life, you know, where you're an underdog. You're not the guy that uh, everybody looked at as the gem on, or the candle on top of the cake or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, I was a the guy, they, you know, they called me up and they said, Hey, do you want to come throw every day at the combine? And I said, sure. I'd love to. I never had a problem throwing a football. I never, you know, if you're going to ask me to go do something, I'm going to go to work and prove myself that I should be there. And, uh, you know, that helped me get recognized because I was out early. You know, I'm throwing the ball as far as I can, throwing it hard, doing what they're asking me, uh, just to show your arm strength and hopefully show some accuracy. Um, and uh, I think it, it really helped me to get to where, you know, I was drafted in the seventh round by the uh, Redskins. And if I didn't go to the combine, I probably wouldn't have been drafted at all.
1: You had a long career in the NFL. You're now watching what the NFL is is going through with, with these unusual circumstances. If you were still playing in the NFL today, what would be your biggest priorities as far as deciding to go back or whether or not to go back like a lot of players are doing? And, and what would you want to see the league doing that maybe they're not doing yet?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about that in our hike the other day and, and saying, you know, what, what do you think we would do? And, you know, we come to the realization is that, if, you know, if we have little kids and we have grandparents around and all those things like we did when we were playing, you know, it might be a different story. I, I don't know how it would be, but then also that's your livelihood. You know, if you opt out, are you going to are you going to make any money And and You know, if I was a young kid, you know, I would basically say, hey, look, I got to go do this. I might be separated from you for a while and go stay in my own apartment. But I got to go prove myself and I got to go earn a living for a family. Um, And, you know, thank God I didn't have to make those types of decisions, you know, where I had a great support of my wife my whole life and and, uh, as an NFL player and and through the end of college. And we've been together almost 26 years now, and, and she's just been there for me, through thick and thin, and and to go through this now, I can see how guys who, if you know, with little ones at home and family members and sick parents or older parents, uh, what do you do? It's, it's it's a tough decision because this virus isn't going away.
0: Separate from the <clears throat> the health considerations, can you, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, you were a guy who who had to prepare um, to get yourself to where you were you talk about how challenging it's going to be for teams, you know, particularly with free agents who've moved to a new team draft picks, who haven't been on the team, those new coaches to prepare under these circumstances where you don't have all those traditional team activities and opportunities. I know people are, you know, the preseason, they have their opinions, but you don't have those games. Just going to have a different look this year for guys that are new faces in new places.
2: Well, yeah, I think that the veterans that have been in um, in those kind of meetings in those organizations for a while are going are, are gonna be just fine uh, you know it's all the other guys when it, you you can go and, and do the playbook and understand it, and then you go out to practice and yeah, it gets a little better, seven on seven, you get to compete a little bit um, you know then you get some team drills, but it's nothing like a game until you get to a game you don't really understand and and the pressure's on you and somebody's going to hit you, um, you know, under the chin, can you stand back up? And, and can you go back up and remember the playbook and get to the next play? I think that uh, today the circumstances are, are going to be two things where you're going to see some sloppy football early. And I think we're going to see a lot of injuries early because guys haven't been able to train uh, like they normally would with all the other teams and and by injuries, they may happen. And, in these training camps and you know players you're going to go against the same guys for three or four weeks and it's different than when you go against other people because you get to know their tendencies you get to know everything about them and then you know training camp and all those things that we used to do you kind of have some fun uh, when you're doing that and then the games are a lot different so it's got to be very interesting to see the first game and i think it's a model that everybody always wanted to see but now they're really going to get to see it and how guys have prepared to um, go through this and and what kind of resilience do they have to say, yeah, we're not going to have some good moments, you know, are we going to be okay? And are the coaches going to be okay getting through this? Because sometimes the coaches take it harder than the players.
1: So am I reading this right? Are you a proponent of having preseason games or do you believe like a lot of the players that they really don't serve a purpose?
2: No, I, I think, I think, I don't know if you need four but you definitely need some preseason games because, you know, if you're going to take 90 guys and try to figure out who the heck's going to be on your team, you need to see them in live situations. Uh, You need to go out and prepare as a starter because in the NFL, there's only 16 games. Every game matters. There's not a hundred or so games. There's not over 80 games, you know, like uh, the other professional sports. So every moment, every game matters. And as well as you can prepare for that first game, um, you know, and to start off strong and to start off with a, with you know really good production early, that's invaluable. And the only way you can do that is to really do that through a few preseason games. And I don't like preseason where, you know, a lot of the guys don't play and they're sitting around and, you know, it preseason is about everybody playing, everybody getting work and, and let's Let's go out and let's get better every day. I don't think that guys get better when they just don't wear their shoulder pads and put a hat on backwards.
0: In life after football, you've you've done some different things. You're a coach for a couple of years. You've been involved in studies dealing with brain health. Now you're co-hosting a podcast, Huddle Up with Gus. Uh, Where did that idea come from? Tell us about it a little bit.
2: Yeah, like you said, I was I was diving into different things when I retired. You know, trying to figure out your transition in life is difficult. I didn't – I put all my time and effort into football, and I didn't continue my education like I should have uh, into different things, whether it was business or whatever. But uh, get out, you know, coaching seems like a very natural and easy progression. Uh, you know, I coached at John Burroughs High School for a while. when My kids went there, my daughter then. Um, graduated, went to Haverford in Philly, now she's at Penn and Vet School and um so you know, we made a decision to leave that high school and come back to Pittsburgh and so I was coaching, I coached some incredible players at John Burroughs, Ezekiel Elliott, Foyer Lucon for the Falcons. And so, um, when we moved back to Pittsburgh, I started coaching high school again with my sons and I said, I don't know if I wanna do this. I wanna figure out how I can reach more people, how I can, you know, maybe do something different in my life and um so I started looking around, went into brain health, um, did an entrepreneurial, but that became a hobby and not a paying job. But uh, the people I met were wonderful. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to find other things. And I said, let me try my hat. People always wanted told me I should go and do this and do that. And I said, well, let me go and try to interview people and do this podcast thing, because I really got kind of fed up with some of the sports radio around and uh, a lot of hypotheticals and all those types of things and i wanted to hear more stories and i know podcasting was getting bigger and bigger and so we just started it my good friend dave hager and i we just started it and we called it huddle up with gus and and our first person we ever interviewed was um, roberto Clemente jr and our second was rocky blyer so those were two things for me that were huge and a lot of fun and and we've been doing it over a year now and we've been really successful Uh, we're on intercom and radio.com we are um, now just going on to 1631 digital news um, down in dc and then we'll also be on a sports circus which is presented by amp tv out in um uh, las vegas so i'm really excited for all that uh and we've just been pushing forward and have had some great guests like herschel walker i just interviewed tom arnold and kurt kurt warner both so um The guests are coming, the stories are great, and it's about what you guys said. I go back to when you are a kid. We all have a story to tell, and I'm sure you two went out in your neighborhood, played sports, um, played around with all your friends, and learned a lot about athletics without any coach or any, you know, really stuff that somebody's going to sit there and tell you what to do. You just learned it, and that's how we grew up.
1: Well, we, we learned it. We just didn't do it well, which is why we talk instead of play. Um, so as as a guy who has played the game at the highest level and then coached the game, is it hard to go that route to coach afterwards? And, and do you become more demanding, especially when you're coaching your own kids because you've achieved such a level of success?
2: Well, it's funny you say that. My son wanted to play quarterback. He was a he was in 10th grade at central Catholic in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, and I was coaching the quarterbacks there. And, uh, I, you know, a lot of what my dad used to do to me was coming out of me and I did not like it. I was very hard on him and I saw him breaking down a few times. And I said, you know, this is not the relationship I want. And, and, uh, you know, coaching other kids is different. Like you can get a little bit on them and parents, want you to help him grow up and, you know, get through tough situations and learn how to be those things. But with my son, I said, you know, it, it's hard for me to go and, and coach him the way I coach other kids because, you know, it's it's a dad-son relationship. And all the dads and sons out there probably understand what I'm talking about. But I just basically, you know, after a few games, I said, buddy, I don't want to do this with you. You got to be happy with what you're doing and uh, I'll support you, whatever you do. And so he switched to receiver he was a lot happier. Ended up going to William and Mary and playing football. And and uh, you know we're still. I, I my goal was to be friends and to be uh, in the same room with each other without wanting to rip each other's heads off the rest of our lives. So that's what we did, and and uh, it was great. Uh, so, but coaching from the NFL going to a younger level, you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of ability to switch your mentality to talk to these kids because you might think they know football, but they really don't. And you got to start at the basics.
1: Is there a chance that we could see you maybe coaching Pitt someday?
2: Uh, I, I wish, I think that ship has sailed. I'm going to be trying to uh, look forward to in the future of working with the NFL alumni and the Hall of Fame Village um, in Canton to run their youth camps across the country, which will keep me busy for a long time and keep me in the game. and my goal is to really get the kids to love the game of football, to not walk away from it when they're ten. We know there's a lot of competition with video games and all that stuff. The the actions per minute in the video game keeps kids involved, and my sons went through that too. But parents have to understand you got to push them outside. Sports can do so much good for them, and and football's the ultimate team sport. You know, they talk about a goat. Yeah, there's really good players out there, but without the players around them nobody can be successful this is not a one-man sport so i think just getting everybody involved in football and keeping the legacy going of of what is great about the game and uh, you got to start young and so hopefully we can bring a lot of kids back into the game and and really enjoy it as well
0: well we hope you can tell from the interview we also enjoy the story and the journey and the, the way that athletes are able to use their platform to help others uh We really thank you for the time. Wish you the best of luck with Huddle Up with Gus. Encourage people to subscribe, and I welcome you back anytime you'd like to come and chat. We appreciate the time.
2: Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. Like I said, uh, you, you can go to HuddleUpWithGus dot com and, and see our website and subscribe. And uh, I really appreciate it. I'll let you guys get back to arguing now. You can go back <laughs> and talk about the Phillies, um and I'm going to go and call my buddy, and we're going to argue about the Pirates. So I'm in the same boat. Thanks, so
0: I'm Gus. Have a great one. Thank you. You too. See, Jeff, everybody argues about their teams. Funny thing is we barely argue because I just don't put up a fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you're always sitting on the fence. I
0: know. I was going to say that. Yeah. I, have, I have a question for our producer on the other side of the glass, actually. Um, Uh-oh. It, you know, you're, you're somebody who who had a, a serious neck injury. What's it like when you hear somebody who had a broken neck and then went on to, to have the career they did and, and overcome the challenges? Uh, what do you think of something like that? pretty heartwarming,
1: um, especially considering uh, I did it a year later than he did it. I was uh, after my 10th grade year, um, but he was able to get back on the field and play, which is great. I have since been back on the ice a number of years later, but um, unfortunately, um, I was not able to get back on the ice
2: and finish out hockey through high school, but um, I was also a swimmer, so I was able to finish out swimming through high school, so made the most of that. It actually gave me something to push forward to, and then uh, I had some goals and got through them through high school.
1: Yeah. What, happened to, what happened to your Olympic career? You just couldn't compete with Phelps. I was going to say Michael Phelps, he took that away from me. He, he He ruined any go- dreams I had of that pretty quickly. Oh, you mean, but for him, you would have been in the Olympics
0: getting those goals.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, but, but for my uh, knee injury mm-hmm. that we'll talk about later, Jeff, I'd, I'd have been there too. And the fact that I'm not tall. But anyway, um, so in interview, there might
1: might be a couple more factors, but we'll let let it go. We'll let it go with just those two. How's that?
0: Lots of factors. Uh, You know, he's somebody, though, you know, we we talk about the journey. He's somebody who's who's rode that roller coaster and Mm -hmm. seems to try and take the lessons from each of it. I, I just found it really interesting how he was somebody who kind of pushed open any door, even when it wasn't there, it seems like and didn't matter what what the obstacle was in front of him.
1: So for those people that don't know Western Pennsylvania, I mean, there's so many legendary quarterbacks that come out of there. And if you grow up out there, I didn't grow up out there, but I lived there for three years. It's like everybody knows about Dan Marino and Joe Namath and Joe Montana. And it, it, it's just amazing the number of quarterbacks that come out of there. And Terry Bradshaw was not from there. He just, he just played there with the Steelers. Um, it's just pretty incredible to think that there are football teams though, even out there where football is pretty big that have 19 players on it think about that you have 11 on each side of the ball that means almost everybody's playing on both sides at some point
0: we didn't get deep into it with him but he said that Uh um, i had heard him on a different interview when we're getting ready for this say that he played offense defense and all special teams he never left the field apparently and, and this, Think about how good an athlete you have to be just to be able to do that. I Jeff, mean, the guy who broke his neck and that came to yeah. do all those things. It's just crazy to me, Jeff. It could get.
1: Could, uh, could you could you relate to the, to the idea that he breaks his foot and his dad says you got to play because I just bought you new shoes,
0: and then he plays but, like eight games and goes to the doctor to find out that he played on a broken foot, and the doctor's like, yeah. Why'd "You do it?" he's <laughs> like eight eight weeks ago. <laughs>
1: It was it, it's uh, kind of like we all we, we all have, a lot of us had dads and it was just like rub dirt on it back then.
0: You know, Net- coached your son. Uh, tell me about the dilemma that, that he faced trying not to be too hard on your kid and wanting to be their friend. Uh, you, you can't do it. It, it. It's
1: it is a real struggle to to coach your kid you want to be there for him. You want to do as much as possible, but it's kind of a no win situation. I did it because not only did I love doing it for my son, but I love doing it for the kid, the other kids. I mean, it, you have, you have to really love being around the kids and the kids that at least I got to coach over the five or six years that I got to coach travel baseball was, you know, those, the, it was like having an extended group of, of sons. It, re- it really was. and And I don't think I could have done it. Otherwise, it's sometimes, and most of the parents are great, and we've talked about this in past years, but there's always one or, two, one or two on each team that think their kid's going to be the next Mike Trout, you're responsible for it, those kind of things. And and you have to find, I mean, I'll give a little tip out there to, to, to parents who coach. Convince your kid that it's okay to play the least, even if they're better, so that no parent can sit there and count innings and say that their kid played the least.
0: Saying that your um, kid's playing more than them.
1: It, it's it's just a frustrating experience but it look Gus gets it I mean the fact that he was able to have that conversation with his kid and kind of step away and and realize it's about his kid I mean that's
0: that's what parenting is about yeah that's got to be tough let's get back to on the field we were talking baseball before we went yeah. I'm not going to talk JT uh, I'm not even really going to talk the last series they are where they are they're three and four going into this series against the Braves. Um, uh-huh. your favorite Phillies pitcher Vinny Velasquez on the mound tonight, but Sunday—any chance like, it's postponed? Sunday might be special, Jeff. Sunday could be Spencer Howard Day.
1: Well, let's before we get to the good with Spencer Howard. Um, and for those that don't know, we did one of Spencer's, I think, first interviews when he was down at Lakewood. Yeah, we'll have to talking. Yeah, and we'll put that out again where we talk to him about um, his use of of meditation. And, and the psychological aspect of sports. And, it, and people kind of gave us a hard time back then when we would do our year-end uh, top prospects list. And we had him much higher than a lot of people. That's, I mean, we probably so had funny. a lot that were wrong too, but, but it was obvious that he had the physical capabilities to do it. But to me, what I was most impressed about in talking to him back then was how mature he was and how much he understood the mental aspect of the game which so many players struggle with in almost every sport. I mean, that's, it, they all have the physical abilities once they get to that level. It's whether or not they have the mental capabilities to kind of figure things out, especially as a pitcher. And and he impressed me as that.
0: Does that excite you that you could get to see him make his debut on Sunday, potentially?
1: Yes, but you know what bums me? see, As a guy who's followed the minor leagues, as a guy who's gone to all of those games, as, as a guy who with you has done... The show and i told i remember when we first did the show i said look you're going to start seeing these guys as kind of like you know relatives you're going to start rooting for them as they kind of move up and i saw that that you were doing that too and it's I'm doing this that is with, another
0: this I've is another one adam of those Haisley.
1: guys and you just
0: want to be there for his first game yeah i've done that with adam hazley a lot he was one of our early interviews that that we yeah. got on and talk with and and it's funny you, you do look at them differently when you see them as kids growing up lots of scheduling changes for the phillies The new Major League Baseball schedule has the Phillies playing 12 games in nine days from September Mm -hmm. 10th to the 18th. They'll play 36 games in the final 34 days of the season with one No, they're scheduled
1: to play that many games. They're not going to play them
0: all. At least 20% of their games this season, 12 out of 60, at least with no more Mm -hmm. rainouts and no more delays, will be seven-inning doubleheader games.
1: Are you liking the seven-inning doubleheader now? The, I mean, you've seen it in the
0: minors. Are you are you getting you.
1: used to it in the majors?
0: To me, it has nothing to do with the seven innings. Why I like it. I like it because I sat down with my three-year-old the other day and got to watch baseball with him because it was during the day before bedtime. That is okay. the only, like, that is the pure reason. It, I, I'm, I'm agnostic. I know that doesn't surprise you. I prefer a nine-inning game. I can live with a seven-inning <laughs> game, but I love that the game is on early. So oh, you don't like oh. that I focus on a different part of it. But it's cool to me that my no, because girl-
1: I was just in inter- i was just interviewing Jason, and the question that I asked him, you—you you didn't answer. The question I-, I asked you isn't about the. I'm glad you enjoyed sitting there watching you, watching your. That's why your, your, your I like game. the
0: seven inning games because I wouldn't get it if it wasn't.
1: No, no. Okay, so let's let's assume that that somehow you would got the same time. Now, now let's just focus on: Are you okay with playing seven inning games? It's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I so for those of those who are why in,
1: do I ask? You,
0: you can follow a video uh, live yeah. of Jeff's reaction to this now. Facebook.com uh-huh. slash heart of sports. yeah um, the
1: microphone's out, lower. If you want to see me like start banging my head into it, I'll hit mute and then you can watch me doing that.
0: Check out afterwards. Every time I don't <laughs> take an aside on something, Jeff slowly like melts. Which is pretty much every time I ask you a question. It makes for good conversation. Yes. Uh
1: huh. Um, How I, do you drive a car since you have everything always in neutral? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. So you can actually go forward, and you can do the reverse and forward things when you're driving.
0: You don't just sit in the car in neutral. I make sure to go forward. I'm okay. okay. Don't. <laughs> how will the schedule play into I mean, look, I'm, I'm extremely worried about the Phillies bullpen to begin with, let <laughs> yeah. alone with that type of schedule. We saw what happened the other day where Neris had to come in to get one out and then he wasn't available the next day because of it. And he basically lost the game because of it. Uh, how concerned are you about this all? Uh,
1: concerned enough that I will admit here that uh, when I saw Nick Pavetta warming up, I turned off the game you knew that that was, I thought they made it through it, but he gave gave up a home run. Uh, He gave up two runs. I I, I don't, I don't get Nick Pavetta. He's one of those guys that has the physical tools. And for whatever reason, he can't put it together. Vinny's another one. I mean, you have him, he's starting tonight, but you're not going to see him go six or seven innings. He's going to do his 20 pitch average. It's just who he is. I don't, I don't understand it because he has the stuff, but for whatever reason, he just throws a lot of pitches. And to me, that's mental.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a problem. I mean, he's got stuff at times so you just can't.
1: I wasn't. I, I, I was, I know he threw a lot of pitches in that one inning, but I was impressed by Zach Eflin. I've always thought that Zach Eflin, he, his sinker. I m- remember last year when they had him trying to go up high a lot, it made no sense whatsoever when the guy was a sinker pitcher. So, now that Girardi's here and Girardi's back to um, let's let's do what these guys do best. I think from a hitting standpoint and a pitching standpoint, I think that this lends itself to a better
0: start. Why don't we leave baseball there and head to Orlando? The Sixers play tonight at six thirty. Uh, uh, our one of our favorite reporters, Keith Pompey, is there inside the bubble, and uh, was able to give us a few minutes before we started the show. Because uh, he'll be there live during the game, so why don't we go to that interview real fast? All right. Right now, we're going to head to Orlando to the bubble. We've got our Sixers beat writer Keith Pompey there uh, joining us before the Sixers game tonight. Keith, thanks for the time. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Uh, you know we love having you on, Jeff. Go ahead. How many times you've been tested since the last
1: time we talked?
2: <laughs> uh, let
3: me see. <laughs> I mean, I, I took one. I took one today. So I think. You and I spoke what
0: Monday, so I had. It, it, you know you're getting tested a lot when you can't remember how many tests you've gotten. I know. <laughs> so, so Keith, what's the Keith knows how to Keith
1: knows how to fun, have fun when you're down in Disney World.
0: Oh no doubt. Yeah. Keith, what's the story going on down there? I, I mean, my I've been fun. blowing up. Well, what's- I've, I've been blowing up Jeff's phone, losing my mind watching this team. Um, What are you seeing, and then we'll get to the injury with Ben and everything like that, but what have you seen out of the team for the first couple days so far?
3: Um, Like I told Jeff a couple days ago, I've I've seen basically the same stuff that we saw before, and I I think what it was is it's kind of like when you have a pretty ex-girlfriend and you broke up with her, but then years later, you're kind of like, oh, she's hot, and you want to take her out for a date again, and then after like three hours of the date or whatever it is, you're kind of like, wow, I remember why we broke up. You know, and that's what it is. The Sixers look good, but it's like they keep making the same mistakes. Um, It it looks like a team that has a bunch of great individuals, um, but it's not really gelling as a team as of yet. Um, The defense is struggling. That's something that's been, you know, happening on the road for a while. Um, You know, guys aren't really knowing their roles, but they're trying to get their roles now but they're not really fulfilling them the right way. And they just look like a team that's out of whack.
1: See, Keith, I can't believe you're using this analogy again. See, Keith and I actually had this whole discussion about romanticism almost out of his discussion, this analogy he's got, because I believe that you can go back and that you can make it work. But not Keith. Keith believes you go back to that well, and then all of a sudden you're going to break up with her again. Clearly you guys Uh, have a different relationship
0: history going on here that I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, I would like to believe that there's hope. He chooses not to believe that there's hope. He's more pragmatic than that. Keith, here's here's my bigger concern though, with the Sixers is whether or not now they're gonna go to a lineup that has somebody like Neto at the point guard. If, who's going to take over the role that Ben is that Ben is not going to be filling? Is this going to be Horford coming in and filling the power forward spot, or is somebody else going to be coming in to handle the ball handling responsibilities?
3: I mean, from what, when, unless Brett Brown is, is uh, going to change his mind, it's, it's going to be Horford, and and I don't think we'll see Nettle as much as we had before. I think that right now, the guys, until Ben Simmons comes back, the guys that you're going to see handle the ball,
0: unless there's a blowout or
3: something like that, are going to be um, Jake Milton. It's going to be Alec Burks. And it's going to be um, Josh Richardson. Um, I don't think that Neto is going to be in the rotation moving forward, unless it's like an emergency-type
0: situation. You just made mine and Jeff's stay with that. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of Ben Simmons... Uh, dislocated patella—that's a painful thing. It's not a like I'm out for one game injury. What are you hearing the day after about where he stands right now?
3: I mean, basically, is you know, it's one of those things where he's trying to go over treatment options. Now, from what I was hearing by talking to people, you know, it's one of those things where it's how can you deal with the pain threshold, and it's going to take you probably like anywhere from like a week to two weeks one guy broke it down to me he said 10 to 14 days another guy said one week to two weeks for everything to heal up and for it to be like you know get better and then you have before you can even get on on the court and do things so the thing is, is, is here's the problem if everything goes well it's great but if you rush back too soon And then all of a sudden, the injury can uh, occur again, and if it occurs again, then you have to get surgery. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm hearing, you know, from people around the league and people with doctors and stuff like that. Now, there are some other reports that are saying they don't want to have surgery, but for the most part, people are saying it doesn't seem like this type of injury would require surgery so
0: i i think it would depend on how how severe the subluxation was jeff wants me to note i actually had that at one time in my life where your kneecap just kind of comes out it's, it's really odd um but and
1: and I, and I need to point out that the reason that i needed to know that is because now there's actually a legitimate excuse for why you bagged out on the blue coats uh, tryouts that we did after the warm-up
0: yeah, no, but look, I I I am far from the athlete that that Ben is. But part of the problem that you don't have control over is, you know, the the depth of how your kneecap fits in and, and how the ligaments are in terms of what got stretched when it came out. And so if you are not going the surgery route, the rehab to strengthen around it so the kneecap can stay in, at the same time, he's gonna have to get used to playing with a knee brace. And that is a different feeling when you're a player that's been out on the court who himself is still trying to find his place. So That's sort of my concern about, you know, it looks like the Sixers, again, best-case scenario, is they're going in a a hampered team to potentially the playoffs again this year without one of their stars.
3: I mean, if they go on with best-case scenario, he's going to be banged up. I mean, he is going to be banged up. But my thing is, is like, how effective is is he going to be? Like Kind of like you said. Um, I, I think that, you know, if I'm Ben Simmons and if I'm his agent, You know, I'm sitting there and I'm saying to him, like, hey, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, is this worth your career coming back? Now, again, he can play with it, but it's always that concern of it popping back out,
0: you know? Nothing happens in a vacuum, Keith. So you end up with, you know, he's had the back injury, then he compensates for the back and and he potentially hurts the knee. Now you're compensating for the knee. What does that do to the back? What does that do to something else? So, you know, his team and this and the Sixers themselves are going to have to consider that when deciding whether to put him back on the court for a team right now that does not look they are like they are in shape to really move anywhere in this tournament. In my opinion, uh, can you explain to me what is Brett Brown's rotation? Because Jeff knows I may break my phone watching these games if I I, I just can't figure anything out. What is going on here?
3: Yeah, you know, he, he did. I'm not going to – believe me, I'm not the guy. I don't think he needs me to apologize for him. But the, he he always said that he was going to try to figure out his rotation. And I also think that what happened is when Jake Milton basically struggled mightily in that first game, it was like, okay, let's see what we have in Neto, right? Let's see what we have in him. Now, the one thing that where he messed up was in game two – he only played Alec Burks, like, what, 10 minutes? And I yep. think that he should have been on the floor more. I mean, I believe that was the big problem. But then when you look at game game three, there was no netto. You know, uh, Burks got 19 minutes, basically 20 minutes. And I honestly think that, you know, moving forward, you know, when you get Glenn Robinson third in there, we're going to have a better idea. Like, I think Mike Scott is going to be in a rotation right now. Just because Ben Simmons is hurt. But if Ben Simmons was healthy, I didn't envision Mike Scott point. You know, I, I felt like they felt like they have Tobias, they have Al, they have Joel, and they have Ben as their bigs. And they were going to get a bunch of wings around them.
1: Well, the person that you haven't mentioned so far that we haven't talked about is Matisse. The question is, is whether Matisse is now going to get more playing time or does this not in any way impact him? And before you start, for people that have not read the article, everybody is now learning about Matisse nationwide. He's been on Jimmy Fallon. But the guy who wrote the, the article, if you want to learn about Matisse, was Keith. And if you haven't read it, just Google it. He, it was an amazing article, Keith.
0: There's our plug for you, Keith. You know, Matisse
3: is a is, a, is a great guy, a great defender. You know, here's the thing with that. You know, I, I think that he has a little bit of that. The coach looks at him as a rookie. So whenever Matisse makes a mistake or, or a mistake is made with somebody he could have helped out with, you know, Brett Brown, like, gives the other guy kind of sort of like the benefit of his help. And then Matisse comes out. But the problem is the first game, against T.J. Warren, Matisse was, T.J. Warren wasn't dominating Matisse like he was Ben Simmons, and they take Matisse out, and then T.J. Warren quickly scores 10 points. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where I understand it. Like, we're all talking about offense. We're talking about other things. But when you have a defense where opposing wing players love to play against the Sixers, you know, it's like they, they, they feast on the Sixers, is one of those things where Matisse has to get more minutes. And especially when you look at Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson and Matisse as their only three quality, quality um, perimeter defenders. So you would assume that Matisse would get more minutes. You would assume.
1: Are you one of those guys that, that puts a lot of weight in plus minus? And if so, it, you look at Matisse's numbers and his plus minus, especially in the game that you were talking about and going forward in this tournament. Seems to be a positive for this team. Is this something that Brett Brown puts a lot of weight in as well?
3: You know, it, it, it's hard. Well, it depends because it also depends on who you're playing with in that lineup. You know what I mean? It depends mm-hmm. who you're playing with that lineup. The one thing that I will say that I think that Brett Brown and them need to do a better job of is they got to understand, like they got to pay attention because when you know they go into the game and they already have their rotation set. And then if a guy, like you say, you look at him and he's playing great, well, it's not like they're making adjustments to their roster, you know what I mean, unless somebody gets into foul trouble. So I think it's one of those things after the game that probably like, hey, that was a good plus minus. Or, hey, this guy made four threes, you know what I mean? But it just seems like during a game, it's like they're not really doing a lot of quality in-game coaching.
1: Keith, you've had a chance to to not only watch the Sixers games, but also take in the other games that are going on in the bubble. Of the teams that you've seen and and the people you've talked to, who is the team that everybody seems to think is the most surprising team and the one that maybe could sneak up on people?
3: Wow, that's a tough one. Um, You know, believe it or not, a lot of people are still high on the the Clippers. You know, just because, you know, they're like, they still don't have Montrezl Harrell back, you know, and a lot of people think that, you know, Kawhi's one of those players that once the, once the playoffs starts, he's going to take it up to a different level. You know, like the Lakers, you know, heading into the thing, a lot of people spoke high about, I like spoke great of, of the Lakers, but then and now it's starting to look like they the injuries are, are, are getting them down. to so like, and the players not coming there. But, yeah, everyone's talking – really, everyone's talking about the Clippers. I mean, people are just saying, just wait until the playoffs start and we'll see the Clippers, you know, be – have their full squad there and and, and they're going to take it up another notch.
1: So, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at any other sports that are going up in in Philadelphia. Up here we have a guy who's standing outside Phillies games with an air horn. Is there any chance that we can send him down there to blow that air horn, do you think that they'll let him into the stadium so he could do that?
3: Man, this dude won't even get a mile within the arena or within the uh, the complex. <laughs> That's
0: know? what I wanted to ask you about, Keith. I, for those really of us, you know, very few people get into that area. What's the feel there for for people who aren't there, and what's the feel among the NBA about the product they're producing? It seems like on TV, it comes across looking good given the situation. Um, what's the sense there in Orlando?
3: You know, it's it, 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 it's different. Like it's funny. You know, I've never covered the Olympics, but a lot of the people are saying it's, it's comparable to covering the Olympics because the Olympics is like a campus type atmosphere. You know, a bubble. You know, they take. You know, everything is just different. But to me, it, it, it's like um, you know, it, it, it's fun. I mean, it's like there, there's one. like, Again, I, I rather prefer to go to a regular game, right? Because you could get closer to the players and you can get better information, I feel like. But there are times during the game where, like, I'm just bobbing my head. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh snap. Like, you know, I, I need to cover this game. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's weird. It, it reminds you of, like, going to a rec center and the DJ is there. And the DJ is just blasting music, you know, for the crowd while the game is going on. Because that's what happens. I mean, they play the music constantly. I don't know if you can hear it at all times on TV because you have the people in the sound booth talking, but, you know, it's one of those things where, man, it's just like, it's just like a party. Um, now, again, it, it's weird because there's no fans in the stands, but then they also have the virtual fans. And I always find myself like, like staring at people to see, Hey, do I recognize this person from the Sixers game? But um, it, it's a different type of feel. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I'll, I'll definitely always remember.
0: Keith, we uh, always appreciate the time you give us. Uh, for our listeners, check out Keith's podcast, uh, Locked on Sixers. Jeff joined him this week. Uh, we'll look for your coverage out of the bubble. You stay safe and uh, take care of yourself. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Jeff, uh, always fun when we get to talk to Keith. Certainly, uh, your thoughts on the Sixers, your confidence level, and then let's whip around to the rest of the sports in the final five minutes.
1: By the way, we've now had two guys have who I think have two of the best podcasts out there in Gus's and Keith's. Yeah, the so very. If, if, and I you mean, don't say people,
0: that you're on Keiths, but uh,
1: well, yeah. Despite that, I I, I think that uh, he survives despite having me on. Yeah, but but seriously, if you get a chance, like listen to both of them; they are definitely worth listening to,
0: no doubt,
1: Um, and subscribing to. Yeah,
0: I I don't feel bad about the Sixers team. I really don't. I I hope I'm. I didn't
1: feel good beforehand. I don't feel good now. I mean, there's no way that they're going to go very far at this point, unless. See, I I think Ben is probably the most integral player to the Sixers. I thought that if, when Joel got hurt previously, I thought they could survive that, especially with Horford. I don't think they have a replacement for Ben. No. And and so I don't see how they do it. They're, they have to change so much now. It's not as simple as just plugging Horford into the four spot. It, it, there's a lot that goes into now changing this around, and they now have, what, four or five games to figure it all out. They don't have Glenn Robinson now could potentially have a a bigger impact. So we don't know. And we don't know when he's going to be back. It's, it's a really difficult uh, thing to do. And that's, that's why I don't believe that Ben should come back. Even if they say he can, I would not mess with this.
0: We will just wouldn't do it. That conversation about his health more, Jeff, we have four minutes left. Good. The flyers, uh, Definitely improving their seating. They will play tomorrow against Tampa Bay with the chance for winning. For the
1: first seed.
0: Yeah. Who would have thought that? Uh, They have defeated 14 of their 15 Eastern Conference opponents. The only one they haven't, the Lightning. Mm -hmm. So here's the chance. The only only, uh, opponent in the conference they haven't defeated is the Lightning this season. Right. So here's their chance. Steven Stamkos will be out tomorrow. Carter Hart will be back in goal tomorrow. Uh, teams really playing well, lots of deaths. Scott Lawton and Kevin Hayes, that line with Travis Konechny has been spectacular. Kevin Hayes' pass and Travis Sanheim's goal yesterday were things of beauty. Um, they are a fun team to watch, and if you're not into the Flyers, you're missing out.
1: Yeah, you you just took the words right out of my mouth. This is fun hockey to watch. I mean, hockey playoff hockey is the best playoff of any sport. It just is. The intensity is so good. And, and they're not skipping a beat being in this bubble. I mean, it's really interesting watching hockey, how little they miss uh, when you're watching on TV. I mean, to me, hockey is best seen in arena. Of all the sports, I think I most enjoy going and seeing a hockey game versus watching it on TV. But the, the production of these games has been great.
0: I was going to say, of all the sports in the age of COVID, I think the NHL product has translated best to what the situation is.
1: Yeah. I mean, they need Gritty up there. They're really missing out by not having
0: we're, we're Gritty. We'll get into that next week, too. On the bad side, Union lost two to one to Portland in the MLS's back tournament. They thought they tied it up, but the goal was disallowed on a Casper Shabilko off sides. It was very close, Jeff. Um, the union did not play their best game of the tournament at all. Uh, it was not the effort you hoped for, but they're a fun team and we'll see what happens when they come back. Well, I
1: think the effort was there. I, I just think that, you know, they got snake bitten on that one goal. I think that it was a difficult game. Portland is one of the, the better teams in the league. The fact that they made it to the semifinals, uh, I think they have a lot to look forward to, but I have a question for you. Why are they not playing the rest of the season like this? I don't know. Why they're are they not- just staying? Why are they taking the risk and coming up here?
0: Probably because they don't want to keep the players away from their family and things like that. And the, the people involved. And by the way, I'm not questioning like their effort that they put in. I would say mm-hmm. that it was not their best game that they've played as a team. OK, so I wasn't questioning right. like, did they go all out or anything like that? I just want mm-hmm. to. But I think that's why they're they're trying to put them back so that they can get back to their families. We'll see how that experiment works out for everybody. I just
1: think it's impressive the the union over the last season and a half, watching them grow the way that they've grown has been a lot of fun. And, and, and that, you know, that's another thing. I just wish we would all be at the stadium because that's a, a fun stadium to
0: be at. They've done some fun stuff. They had fans on the field watching with Kevin Casey doing the announcing. Uh, been be able to listen to some of the games on the radio. So it's, it's been fun to be able to watch watch the tv broadcast we'll see jeff minute left pga championship your your boy bryson has already broke his driver <laughs> um are you watching i know you were planning to be here uh what are you seeing so far
1: well no i wasn't going to be at that one i wasn't I going, was going out to san francisco at- no i was going to new york for the u.s open so um this is a this if you've seen that if you've seen the aerial view of the course it's it is a gorgeous course Um, watching these guys perform at the highest level is just amazing. I mean, I love watching golf. I just
0: wish there were fans there. I just love that I can watch sports all day and all night now. I know I complained that it impacts my productivity the other day, Bloody. How come
1: How come Bryson Shimbo did not know that that his, ex, his now new weight was going to, if he leaned on his golf club, that it was not going to snap off? He's that's a science the, guy. He should know
0: these things. That's going to be the last word for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. <clears throat> Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. It's time for some straight talk. You know what covering your bases is in baseball, right? Of course.